Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to be looking at the doctrine of original sin, very much the topic that is found in questions 21 to 29 of the Westminster Larger Catechism. We won't be looking at everything in those questions, but we're going to be looking at the theme in general. Have you ever met someone and they've asked you this question, why did God make this world so full of suffering pain, and evil. Have you ever met a person asking that question? Perhaps even in your past, you may yourself have asked that question. What do we mean? So full of suffering, so full of anguish. Why is there death, pain, and suffering at all? Now the question presumes much, doesn't it? It presumes that the world was created with the pain and the suffering that we see all around us and we become so accustomed to on a daily basis. Or did God make it perfect? A place where man was blessed, a place of joy. And the answer is yes. God made everything good. We saw that in the previous week. Creation week, God saw that it was good and he blessed it. But what changed all that? Obviously, we live live currently today in a world full of pain, suffering and anguish. A world of many trials and temptations and difficulties. What has changed all that? Sin. Sin. Man's sin. Our sin. Sin that was committed in the Garden of Eden by Adam, our first parent. Him who was created of the dust of the earth, created without sin. Adam was created good. But sin entered in. It's a very sad story, but at the same time, at the end of all these things, God is still glorified, and he will be glorified in its defeat, and he will be glorified in all these things. So this evening, we're going to look at the, the doctrine of original sin, and we're going to look at its source, spread, and solution. Its source, spread, and solution. And we're going to read now from Genesis chapter 3, as we consider this doctrine, let us hear God's holy and infallible word. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
that it was pleasant to the eyes and, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fake leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. You shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you will bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tr- to the tree of life. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and infallible word. When you find a problem in the world, many people will come up with a solution. There are many protests going around the world. It seems to be a new protest happening every five minutes or so, it seems. Um, For example, there seems to be people protesting supposed racism in in football. Um, Whatever we may believe about that. People, I don't know if you've seen people taking the knee and all this kind of stuff. Um, then there's some protests taking place over the destruction of the planet or the supposed destruction of the planet, in which case they themselves are also destroying things as well. 
while all these things are going on and we may not agree with what they're saying and different things like that, there's one thing all of these groups have in common. They all see that something's wrong with the world. They all have a sense that there's something wrong. Something has to be put right. They see injustice around them or perceived injustice sometimes. And they think, here's a problem. The world is not perfect. And they think they found exactly what the problem is. That's something. But do they really? There are major problems in the world, but at its core, what is wrong with the world? What is that something that is wrong? Sin. At its core, at its core, it is sin. It is rebellion against God, a rejection of the Creator, a rejection of the source of good, a rejection of the source of light. And when we reject light, invariably we embrace darkness. And so doing sin embraces what is opposite of what is good. Embracing what is bad. That's the something that is wrong in the world. This evening let us look at this problem. But let us look at a biblical and God honoring solution. So number one. Let us look at sin's entrance. Sin's entrance. Where did sin come from? If you read books, if you read novels, if you watch movies, if there's any good story, there's always that one person you root for. He's kind of like the hero character. And then there's another guy, the bad guy, the villain. Well, in this, we have the villain entering into the scene. Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of of every tree of the garden? Or another way of saying that is, Has God really said? Are you sure? Now the commandment to not eat of every tree of of the garden, or to eat... Uh, It's down in um, Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Verse 17. But of the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. There's There's nothing to be doubted about there. It's very, very clear. It's emphatic. Actually, literally in the Hebrew, it's dying, you shall surely die. But our great enemy who's entered into the scene, this great villain, he's not going to be openly being obvious about it. He's not going to just jump out and say, ah, I want you to sin. I want you to reject God. He starts with a question. The enemy is cunning, subtle, and seeks Whom he may devour. Sin does not come obvious, does it? It creeps in and it plants its doubts in the promises of Almighty God. And what does this question do? Or attempt to do at least? It's seeking to make man distrust or place doubts in the promises of Almighty God. The promise of Almighty God is all you have to do, don't eat of this one tree. Look at the freedom you have. I think we naturally think, oh, why, what's so, this is just one tree, isn't that so and so petty? 
But think about it. They can eat of any tree. You can eat anything you want. This is a paradise. This is wonderful. But there's just this one stipulation. One thing. Just don't eat of this one tree. See the freedom Adam and Eve were given. The joy that they were given in this paradise. But the world, the flesh, and the devil seek to place doubt in the heart of man. Doubt. Did did God really say that? That sounds a bit strict, doesn't it? And that's what the devil will do in our own hearts. There's something very clear in the scriptures. Of something forbidden by God. And do you ever have that little thought? "Mm, That seems a bit strict. I can't be that strict. The devil will do that at the beginning. Now, did it work? Now, we can learn... We can learn from two different types of people. We can learn from those who do good things and we can imitate them. But we can also learn from what not to do, can't we, as well? Did Eve doubt? It says this in verses 2 onwards. And the woman said to the, and the, woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. This is true, verse 3. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden... God has said, you shall not eat of it. This is true. Nor shall you touch it lest you die. It's an interesting addition, isn't it there? You shall not touch it. There's no mention of God saying not to touch the tree. An extra addition has been put on to the law of God. The word is perfect. The world is was given, was perfect. So how is this enemy able to go in there, introducing doubt into the heart of man? Now, was the devil created wicked? Was he created it wicked? He wasn't, actually. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 13 to 17, it talks about the devil. He says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The worksmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect. In your ways from the day you were created. To an iniquity. That sin was found in you. By the abundance of your trading you became filled with violence within. And you sinned. Therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub. From the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you out to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. The thing to take away from this is the devil, even the devil, the serpent, was created perfect. But sin entered in. Sin entered in. Sin brought all this chaos and confusion we see around us. He is able then to... Wreak havoc, placing doubts in the heart of men and bringing them 
to sin. Question 24 of the Westminster Larger Catechism says this, Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of any law of God given as a rule to the reasonable creature. Or put this another way, any want of conformity, if you're trying to hit a target, you fall short. Or you go beyond where you're meant to go. Both of them are sin. We're supposed to hit the bullseye every single time. But we, we fail. All of us fail. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we have this sinful world from a departure from God. A departure from God. And this is why there's suffering in the world today. We must keep reminding ourselves. Because otherwise we'll become bitter with God, I think, unless we, we remind ourselves that the suffering in this world is because of sin. And look, also, that the Lord is in control of all things. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. All the suffering you go through has a purpose. Romans 8.28. It may be horrible to go through, but there's a purpose. There's a good, holy, and righteous purpose. There's the purpose that Joseph saw when his brothers sold him into slavery, but yet he was sent to Egypt to save people's lives. We find that out in Genesis chapter 50. But we have a sinful world, a world at war. We're a world at war. The world at war didn't end in 1945. The world's been at war for 6,000 years. And that world war will not end until death has been placed under the feet of Christ. And a war has an enemy. It's death and it's sin. And this is why language of putting sin to death Placing it under the feet. Even, even in Romans 16, it talks about how shortly Satan will be placed under your feet. This is a war. It's a difficult war, but there's victory in Christ. Sin's entrance brings suffering. So that's number one, sin's entrance. Number two, now we're going to look at sin's execution. Sin's execution. Now, sin makes its own promises. God makes promises, and sin also makes promises. The devil makes promises. Verses 4 and 5 says this, Then the serpent said to the woman, and notice how it's changing here. First it's doubt, now it's into denial. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. There's open denial. As soon as the devil sees the doubt in the woman, he seizes the opportunity. He is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You will not surely die. It gets more and more brazen. For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God's ways, or the devil's really saying, God's ways are not enough. God's keeping something back from you. Don't you see that there's something better out there? God doesn't want you to eat of that tree because really it's better than all the other trees all around. 
And this can manifest itself today in our world, even in the church, where we start to believe God's ways, God's word is not enough. Something else is beyond the promises of God, what God has commanded in his word is much better. And this is everywhere today in our culture. We may think, for example, we sing the Psalms. We believe it has been commanded in the word of God. And we can start to think, well, do people really want to sing Psalms? Let's just, let's just get rid of that kind of thing. People generally don't want to sing the Psalms. But the problem is not with the Psalms. The problem is not with the word of God. The problem is with man. We're the ones who need to change. We also may believe preaching is not enough. God's word is not enough. Young people are just not going to be converted under the preaching of the word. Something different needs to be done today. And what happens over over time, eventually churches even remove preaching altogether. And prayer and other things. Where does it come from? Sin. Where does it come from? Lies. And the devil loves it. We're listening to lies. We're listening to things that bring death and misery and destruction. Sin, it's very enticing. It's not like it's not attractive. Sin is always attractive to to fallen flesh. We still struggle, even as converted believers in Jesus Christ, we still have that struggle within us. The old man and the new man. Fighting within us. It's often a question of which one we will feed more. The old man or the new man. Sin entices, it lures you in. It's a bit like the cheese in the mousetrap. It looks attractive, but it brings certain death. It says in verses 6 and 7 of Genesis chapter 3, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the eyes, and it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and a tree desired to make one wise. The pride of life. She took of its fruit and ate. She was enticed. Oh, it looks great. A sin is attractive. Alluring. If it wasn't attractive and alluring, we'd never do it. Then the eyes of them both, verse 7, were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, And made themselves coverings. There was this attempt to cover their shame with their own works. What happened here? We may lose what has happened here. They physically didn't die at this moment. But they spiritually died. At that moment. Death came upon all men. The promise of God. Verses 16 and 17 in the previous chapter. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day you eat of it you shall surely die. And it happened immediately from that moment. There was physical death to await. There was no death in that world. Had they continued... 
as they were, there would be no death. There would be no death. Spiritual death came immediately. Physically, physical death did not come for another some 900 years after that. It's amazing how short life is today. Imagine that. They lived over 900 years. No, up until about the time of Noah and the flood, people lived hundreds and hundreds of years. If anybody lives past the age of 100 today, it's like amazing. But this is what sin has done. This is all to do with sin. They can do all they want in modern science and everything else. But we are seeing the fruits of sin. Death. And what did they do when they spiritually died? No longer enjoying that sweet communion with God. Verses 9 and 10 it says, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Now this is, it's not like God doesn't know where they are. This is really to expose them. To ask them questions. Where are you? In verse 10. And then he said. I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid. Because I was naked. And I hid myself. This is referring back to verse 8. When it says. And they heard the sound of the Lord God. Walking in the garden. In the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife. Hid themselves in the presence of the Lord. Among the trees of the garden. And that's what sin makes us want to do. It makes us want to hide. From the presence of God. Because God is holy. God is holy. Sin, it promises much, but it always does the same thing. It brings devastation. It brings disillusionment. It brings disappointment. It promises and it promises. And when we give into it, we follow the sin of our first parents, listening to the lies of the enemy. It's that same old thing of the grass is greener somewhere else. And this is the grass is greener with sin. But friends, the promises of God are true and faithful. They are true and faithful and will never let you down. Sometimes we may get annoyed because we don't see that following God will bring suffering. It will. It will bring suffering, pain in this world. But God tells us this. He actually promises this. All those who will suffer persecution. They will be, but they're actually blessed at the same time. The promises of God are worthy of our trust at all times. In in Psalm 12, Psalm 12, it's going to read from this brief part of Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7, it says this. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in the furnace of earth. Purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. And in the midst of enemies and everything else around us. God's words are pure words. They are trustworthy. They are purified as purified can be. The devil will always promise you something better. Our generation, my generation, especially millennials and younger, you know, what happens? I was listening to something the other day about how young people have this problem of over 10 years and they'll have had, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten jobs. And it's becoming harder and harder for people to hire them. The grass is always greener somewhere else. We don't have contentment. We have to find our contentment in God. 
We have to find contentment, not in sin, which brings its death and misery, but to find our contentment in God. And the only way we're going to do that is going to realize our way is broken, fundamentally flawed. If you ever had a compass and somebody told you, don't trust that compass, it's telling you due north is this way. No, no, this is the right way. That compass is broken. It will take you in the wrong direction. God's way is always right. Our hearts will take us in the wrong direction. Because we're sinners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. And remember as well from our morning series. We're going through First John at the moment in the morning series. First John chapter 1 verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Our hearts will tell us we're not that bad. Our hearts will tell us what Adam did in the Garden of Eden wasn't really that bad. That's what our hearts will tell us. But what it brought in was death. And it's only through Christ that we can have life at all. Sin executes, it kills. It kills everything. Because it is a departure from God who brings life in the first place. Number three now, we're going to look at sin's extent. Sin's extent or spread. Now you might wonder at this point, does this affect every single man, woman, and child? It's possible to go on Christian websites today and see phrases to this extent. Well, children are innocent up until they, at some stage, they sin. I understand the sentiment. I understand where that comes from, but it is not biblical. In Adam, all die. In Adam, all die. Every single person. We're not just born and become sinners at some stage down the line. We are born sinners. It is as natural to us as breathing. It is as natural to us as because of Adam's sin. In him we sinned. Now, in the Garden of Eden, Adam was not just for himself. He represented all of mankind. He was there as the representative for us. Every single person who had ever lived. He represented you and he represented me. So Adam's fall was everyone's fall. Now, where Adam failed, who succeeded in this place? Who was that? There's a second Adam. And we thank God that there's a second Adam. A type of him who is to come. Who would keep the law of God. You see, Adam was to keep the law of God. He was to... That was a test of his obedience, was not eaten of that tree. But really it was to keep the law of God. And he failed. Romans 5 verses 12 to 14 says this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world. One man. And death through sin. And thus death spread to all men. Because all sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those who had not sinned. According to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Even if we haven't done exactly like Adam. It says this. Paul writes in Romans. Even over those who have not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him 
who was to come. A type of him. The second Adam. And that is Jesus Christ. Adam still represents all those not in Jesus. In Adam all die. But in Christ all shall be made alive. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 22. That's why we all need to be born again. That's why, among many reasons, we'll be baptizing a baby, Lord willing, next Sabbath morning. Everyone needs God's mercy. Everyone. It's a sin, this original sin, as it's called, and passed on from generation to generation. It says this in question 26 of our Westminster Larger Catechism. How is original sin conveyed from our first parents onto their posterity or their children and after them? The answer is, original sin is conveyed from our first parents onto their posterity by natural generation. So as that proceed from them in that way are conceived and born in sin. We are sinners because our parents are sinners. And this contagion, if you say, or this, this disease has spread to all of mankind. We did not become sinners. We have been born in iniquity. It says in Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now you might be thinking here this evening, ah, that's just not fair. That does not sound fair. Let's consider fair for a second. If we got fair and justice, where would we be today? We would all be in hell. Every single last one of us. How long would any of us have lasted in the Garden of Eden without sin? If it was us there as representative. I can only speak for myself, but I would not have lasted as long as Adam. Adam was placed as the head of all mankind. Who better to be placed as the head of all mankind but a sinless human being? Yes, capable of sin at the same time, but without a sin nature. Adam was not created with a sin nature. He fell. The problem is not with God, dear friends. The problem is with us. Sin affects every single person. And we are either one or two of two people, two seeds. It says in Genesis 3, verse 15. There's two seeds, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The seed of the woman is Christ. The seed of the serpent is all those who have not trusted in Jesus Christ and are outside of Christ. And it says, I will put enmity or division or hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He, that is speaking of Christ or this, will bruise the head of the serpent. That's where victory comes. That is where we see the first seedling form of the gospel. From the moment they fall into sin, it is not over. God would have been well within his rights to just say, look, send us all in to pour his wrath upon us. We would deserve it. But he 
extends mercy. He shows the gospel from the first day. It looks as if Adam trusted as well. Why did he trust the promise and how can we know that? In verse 20 it says this, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Isn't that amazing? He calls his wife's name Eve because he says, Look, out of her will come that seed which will bring victory over the head of the serpent. There is still hope. For all those still walking around in this town. Who have not yet passed into eternity. There is still hope. They're all sinners. Every single last one of them. I don't don't care how nice each one of them are. They're all sinners. Every single last. We're all sinners. And we all need that same gospel. And our final point we're going to look at is sin's eviction. And sin's eviction is really the solution to original sin. Sinners and sin are not allowed in paradise. Paradise is paradise because sin doesn't exist there. Misery doesn't exist there. Death doesn't exist there. It says in verse 24, so he drove out the man and placed the cherubim in the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword that that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. They were kept out from paradise. Sinners and sin. I know there's a very popular phrase that says God hates sin but loves the sinner. It is just not biblical. His wrath will be poured upon sinners for the sin they have committed. We have to see that it is not just sin that is kept out of heaven. It is sinners. Now you say, well, how do us any of us have any hope because of the work of another because of our second Adam Adam, the first Adam departed from from God the second Adam resisted temptation and kept the law in every point suffering at every point Even, even sweating drops of blood imagine how much He cared and loved you. That he sweat drops of blood. He suffered under the wrath of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. Let this cup pass from me. Not my will, O God, but thine. How much he cared. How much love the Son of God showed as a second Adam. For our wicked deeds. The solution is... Sin and sinners are driven from the presence of paradise. Otherwise, paradise would no longer be paradise. It says this in Romans 8, 13 and 14. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God... These are sons of God. What does that mean? If you are born again, this is your life. It is putting to death sin. It's very explicit in this verse. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. No, none of us are perfect. But there's a war going on. And as we grow in grace, sometimes we'll have moments where we go back a few steps, go forward a few steps. But the general pattern of our lives is to grow in grace, putting sin to death. Because when we're putting sin to death under our feet, there's victory, there's growth and grace. Otherwise, the world, the flesh, and the devil will have control over you and be tormenting you. He, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who brings victory in this. He is that victorious seed in Genesis 3.15. What is the solution to original sin? It is it's driven, driven from the place of peace. It is driven from the presence of joy. And that's what we need to do if we grow in grace and joy in our lives. To drive it. And to not make any peace accords with it. To drive it from our lives. And this is what heaven will be like. There will be no sin in heaven. Does that make us look forward to heaven more? There will be no sin. And the miseries of sin in heaven. Somebody who's not born again is going to think that sounds horrible. The unbeliever does not relish what the true heaven is actually like. The believer cannot wait. For to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. He must reign, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25. He must reign till he's put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And death is all around us in this world. The tokens of death are all around us in in this world. And all these will one day be put under the feet of Christ. There's only two possible ways. The way of death or the way of victory. The way of peace. The way of this promise in in Genesis 3.15. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The devil will have his moments to try and to bruise the heel and to lash out as a serpent would at the the heel of the church. And he does in this world. But his head will be crushed. Crushed by the seed of Christ. Amen.